0: Is Mother's Day. And you know, in all of my years of of ministry and preaching, I've never preached a Mother's Day sermon. I was just always caught up in in some other sermon series. And I think I've tried to bend a, a sermon into Mother's Day, but I've never actually sat down and said, Now I'm going to prepare a Mother's Day sermon. But today I have prepared a Mother's Day sermon. So, like all preachers do when they sit down to I imagine, think about a Mother's Day sermon, you have to come up with a text. So I went to the only text that I thought really captured the essence of Mother's Day. uh, And that's in Genesis 30, verse 16. Let me read this for you. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Doesn't that strike you as a Mother's Day text? (laughs) It's uh, provocative, perhaps. I mean, the first thing you need to know about that is, what what in the world is a mandrake? A mandrake is a plant that has a root, and the root of the mandrake was, A, an aphrodisiac, and B, it was a cure for infertility, or so they thought. Peculiar text. But it is a good text. Perhaps if we fill out the broader context, we might see what the Lord would have for us today. Let's again pray, asking him to enlighten us and to help me to make this in good faith into an appropriate Mother's Day text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our mothers. And we acknowledge that not all of us have a good relationship with our mother And that for many mothers, they do not have a good relationship with their children. And we have women who would long to be mothers, but you have withheld that from them. Lord, I know that also there are mothers who grieve until the end of their days over the loss of a child. So Mother's Day is not a simple day it's not a day of easy celebration it comes with all kinds of heartache but also joy i pray today that as we take a look at this text that you have inspired that you would instruct us by your word i thank you for our mothers and i thank you for the mothers of israel the mothers of the Messiah who brought a chain of people into the world that climaxed with the giving of your own Son, Jesus, the Messiah. In His name we pray. Amen. In order to make sense of this verse about mandrakes, we better read the broader context. Would you please stand with me and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. It's a fairly long passage, but it's, it's in, required in full in order to understand the meaning of the text. Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated by her husband, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again a fourth time and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased from bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Both sisters married to the same man. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah, go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days when the wheat harvest was on, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you now take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange just for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came in from the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because my servant I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of God. Amen. Please be seated. now this is a problematic text i hope you saw that <laughs> i mean what in the world are we going to do with this how are we going to rescue this text that's i think the impulse that we bring to it we need to do something in order to change this text in order for it to be palatable for us in our setting now of course this text was chosen because it's all about motherhood not maybe idealized motherhood, but motherhood nonetheless. In fact, these are the four mothers of Israel. So there's, there's 13 sons born to Israel, and Israel is Jacob's second name, which also becomes the name of the nation, right? So he has 13 sons and a daughter for a total of 14. We get the 12 tribes because Levi is not a tribe. Um So this passage is about the four mothers of Israel, and of these four mothers, there's only one mother of the Messiah. So that's a little bit of a hint on where we're going. Now, the context, which perhaps would have been helpful before I read that entire passage, but the context of this is that Jacob was born to Isaac. Isaac was born to Abraham. Abraham was promised the gospel ultimately, that the Messiah would come into the world through his family. And so we have Jacob, who is carrying the promise of the Messiah. And then we get all of his sons that are born to these four women. Now, Jacob, though, stole this blessing from his brother Esau. They were, they were twins. Esau was the older twin. He was the one that Isaac wanted to give the blessing to. Esau was the one that Isaac thought the promise of the Messiah should fall to. But Jacob dressed up like uh, with goat hair all over himself because his brother Esau was a hairy man. He went in and his, his father Isaac was blind and old and, and he touched him and he, he blessed him thinking he was Esau. It's a different sermon. But you see, salvation history is complicated and messy and God is working with us in spite of our many sins. So Jacob ran away in order to save his life. And, and when he got to his new hometown, he looked and he saw a beautiful woman by the name of Rachel. And he wanted to marry her. So he went to Rachel's father, Laban, and he said, I would love to marry your daughter. So they struck up a deal. You work for me for seven years, then you can marry Rachel. Jacob did that. I mean, That, that is commitment. Seven years working. Then after the seven years, he went to Laban and he said, now is the time that I should be able to marry your daughter. And so they were married and then Jacob went in and consummated the marriage. It must have been dark. It must have been late. There might have been a little bit of wine because he woke up the next morning and behold, Leah, whoops, the wrong woman. And that's what Laban did. Laban actually took his older daughter who was not as beautiful. I think you might say she was cross-eyed. She had strange eyes. The text says that and gave her in the place of Rachel. And so Jacob consummated with the wrong woman. That's a problem. So he went to his father-in-law and said, what have you done? Why have you tricked me? And he says, well, we don't do things the way you do them. We don't, we don't take from the eldest and give to the youngest. And so there, she's my oldest daughter She's yours. If you want my younger daughter, you have to work for me another seven years. And that's what he did. So he worked for another seven years and finally married the woman that he loved. So now he's got two wives and their sisters. That's the context of, of this text. And they get into a very um, heated, very competitive baby-making contest, which is peculiar in our context. Leah bore the first four sons, so she's off to a good start. She bore Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Bill, uh, Rachel couldn't conceive, so she comes up with an idea. If I want to be competitive against my sister, I'm going to have to find a surrogate in order to bear my children. That's the thinking. So she says, well, Bilhah, are you up for the challenge? Do you want to come onto team Rachel? And Bilhah said, Sure. So the two go to uh, to Jacob and say, we have an idea. Why don't you take Bilhah to be your wife and she'll bear children in my place. And any children that come from her will count to my score. And Jacob said, fine. So Bilhah conceived Dan and Naphtali. Now the score is four to two. Well, it's getting a little bit too close for Leah. So we had been told that she ceased bearing children after Judah. Since she was no longer able to conceive, she said, well, I have a maidservant too. She went to Zilpah and said, Rachel recruited Bilhah for Team Rachel. Would you like to play for Team Leah? And Zilpah said, sure. So they went to Jacob and said, we have team, Team Leah here. Would you mind taking Zilpah to be your wife? Jacob said, sure. So now he's got four women, but just still two teams. Zilpah bears Gad and Asher. What's the score? Six to two. Leah is winning. And then Leah had... Two more sons and one more daughter. And I, this, is, this is not right. It's not right even biblically. But in their culture, Dinah, poor Dinah, didn't count toward the score. But Leah conceived two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun. So what's the score? Eight to two. But then Rachel had two sons. Joseph, which is in our text. And then Benjamin. So as far as the score goes, Leah wins the score. But This text, what do you do with it? How do you preach it? How do you receive it? How does this draw us into any kind of worship? How does this help us to celebrate Mother's Day? I mean, I don't recommend this strategy. Don't get into this kind of a baby-making contest. How am I supposed to find an appropriate Mother's Day take-home point from these sister-wives? Well, let's start with what's wrong with this family. It's the most obvious. So let's just start with the most obvious and work back from there. First of all, this is not a pro-polygamy text. A lot of people say, well, the Bible is just filled with contradictions and jacob who is israel had four wives god must have been in favor of a man having many wives therefore i don't like the bible close the bible get rid of the bible that's not what this text is saying if in fact the text is saying the exact opposite contrary to what many people try to say about this text and other texts the bible is against a man having many wives this is not in favor of what Jacob did. It's not in favor of what Laban did, trading out one sister for another sister. It's not for what Jacob did, even taking two wives. And whatever you do, don't take your house cleaner and give her to your husband. Genesis 2.24 says, for this reason, one man shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast to his wife. Singular, not wise, plural. Hold fast, cling to, be exclusive with. And the two shall become one flesh. That's it. That's God's vision for marriage. So let's just start there. Whatever this text is saying, whatever these people did in the past, uh, it doesn't mean that this is what God wanted them to do. Take home point number one then. This is important. Is everyone listening? Do not marry your sister's husband. No matter what. No matter what, it seems like a good idea. It's not a good idea. Don't marry your sister's husband. You can laugh at that if you want. I mean, it's obvious, right? But it's a take-home point. Take-home point number two. If you and your sister just happen to be married to the same man, and you are having a baby-making competition... Don't give your house cleaner to your husband as an additional wife, even if she might give you the edge. It's probably easy to apply that to your life and and say, okay, I can obey that. Uh, Take home number three, equally important men, listen up, men don't marry multiple sisters or their house cleaners. So there, we've done three take home points. Three point sermon, I think we're done. Is everyone satisfied with that? I think we can do a little bit better. Are there any other helpful observations that we can make from this text? How would you preach this? How would you read this? There's a very obvious, once you have eyes to see it, very obvious, very glaring problem that goes beyond polygamy in this text. And it has to do with the two primary women, Leah and Rachel. They're sisters. Both Leah and Rachel sought to define their identity in the wrong place. They were looking for value. They were looking for self-worth. They're trying to uh, carve out just a little corner of purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in their life. The cards that they had been dealt, the situation that they were in, and they looked in the wrong place. And and very interestingly, the two women looked in different places. And each woman envied the other woman. And I think we'll see with the addition of a third option, the two places that these two women looked for their fulfillment, where they looked to define themselves and to, to, to carve out an identity for themselves, are the two most common places that women look to achieve an identity for themselves, even in today's culture. Here we are thousands of years later in a totally different culture, and yet women struggle with the same two things that these women struggled with. Not with, not with being married to the same man, but seeking identity in the wrong place. Specifically in the place where these women sought their identity. So where was that? Where did Leah look to define herself? Where did she f- seek fulfillment? Look at chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and context tells us that she was hated by her husband, she was seeking an identity in the love of her husband. If, if, if she could just get her husband to love her the way she wanted to be loved, then everything would have been fine. She could put up with the multiple wives thing. She could put up with, with Jacob's bad temper. She could put up with all kinds of things, but all she wanted was the love of a man. Rachel, on the other hand, had the love of a man. Was she satisfied? No. She sought her identity elsewhere. Go down to chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And and, and again, the broader context, we're reminded Jacob loved Rachel. He doted on Rachel. He, Rachel was clearly his favorite wife, and everybody knew it. He made no bones about it. He even said to Leah, apparently, I hate you. I I, I just want to be with, with Rachel. I'm stuck with you because your dad tricked me, but I love your sister. Was that enough for Rachel? No. Because she wasn't seeking her identity in the love of a man. Where was she seeking her identity? In her children, or lack thereof. So we have two women seeking identity in the love of a man or the lack thereof or in children or the lack thereof. That's still where many, many women look for their identity. The third would be career in our culture, right? So this text doesn't address career unless I guess we could really focus in on Zilpah and Bilha. There's a career. Not very fulfilling. But we're going to look at those first two because so many of us... Uh, Men and women, but in this case, especially women, they seek their identity in the love of a man. It's amazing what young girls are doing just to feel valued by a man who is, who is not treating them the way that they ought to be treated, not valuing them, not loving them. And you look around in our culture and all the women that are just abusing themselves to be abused by another. Because they're like Leah. Or women who make idols of their children, either children they have or children they can't bear, much like Rachel, seeking their identity in the wrong place. Now We could go through and and really look closely at at this text, and I I recommend that to you, but let me just point out a few things as we go through. The naming of these children just accentuates the points that I have already made. So Leah derived her identity from her husband's lack of love or, or her desire for her husband's love. And so bearing children was not good enough. It was, she wasn't bearing children to love the children. It, she didn't think to thank God for her children. And we're told in, in verse 31 of chapter 29 that God gave her children so that she could love and be loved. Not that they would become an in of themselves. I mean, we're going to look at that when we look at Rachel, but... God said, this woman needs love. So she gave, he gave her children, but that wasn't enough. And so the naming of her children is very interesting. She names her son Reuben, her first son, because she says, look, a son. Now my husband will love me. No, look, a son. I love him. God is gracious. He gave me a son. Look, Jacob, I've, got, I've given you a son. Did your favorite wife do that for you? Look, a son, Jacob, Reuben. She bore a second son, Simeon. Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word for Shema. In In the Hebrew accent, they sound very similar. So she's like, the Lord has heard me. He's heard that my husband's still neglecting me. So she's he's doubled the number of sons I've had. Look, Jacob, two sons. Nope, still not working. So God gave a third son. Leah's missing the point. She said, I'm going to name him Levi, which means attached. Now my husband will be attached to me. Three sons. And Then she bears Judah. She says, you know, this time I'm just going to praise the Lord. And Judah means to praise the Lord. And then she ceased to bear. And, and if we just stop there and we preach that, it sounds like, wow, Leah's really sort of figured this out. Good for Leah. She figured out. Took her four sons. She figured out that she needs to find her identity in the Lord. Enjoy the gift of four sons that God has given her. That's what it sounds like. Except Rachel now. We, we shift over to Rachel and she starts having sons through through Zilpah. And so Leah gets competitive and says, oh no. Now, it kindled up inside of Leah this desire to be loved by her husband and again she thought that bearing children would give her what she wanted which was Jacob's love and so Leah herself gives her maid servant in Genesis 39 and we have Gad which sounds like good fortune in the Hebrew good fortune now I've got good fortune and so my husband will love me no he didn't So she bears Asher in Genesis 30, verses 12 and 13. Now this is interesting. Asher is a Hebrew word for happy. But notice what she says. She doesn't say, I'm happy. Other women have called me happy. Other women are, are trying to tell me to be happy. Other women are trying to give me a sense of identity. And so now he, Leah, because she couldn't find love in her husband, now she's transitioning to find, trying to find some sort of fulfillment from what other women are saying about her. This is not a problem. The compar- comparison game that happens among women is, is deadly. And, and I just think about, uh, about social media. I don't know how many of you are on social media, Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. I don't even know what they all are. But let me just ask you this question. How many of you that are on there cultivating your profiles, how many of you would say that the profile that you put forward resembles what your life is actually like? Why do you do that? So that other women will call you happy? Maybe you're not happy, but good second prize would be that if other people thought I was happy, that's, that's the lesson of Asher. It's a false happiness because you're seeking the identity, your identity in the wrong place. Now, let me ask you sort of a flip on that question. For those of you who are looking, trolling other people's social, social media, and, and, and you're like, oh my goodness, look at her, her life is perfect. Another perfect life, another perfect life. She wakes up and just looks happy because there's, you know, I don't know how they did that. Uh, but but you, you look at all of these false portraits that are put forward and then you, you say, she looks happy, she looks happy, she looks happy, I'm not happy. Asher. False happiness. False identity. We move on. Issachar. Sounds like the Hebrew word for wages. And this is that passage that we read. Let me just read this. Verses 14 to 18. Because we get this list of naming and then God gives us a little narrative. So you have to ask the question, why is God doing that? What's the point? There is a point. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, that's Leah's oldest, right? Reuben went out and he found some mandrakes in the field. What are mandrakes? Mandrakes are this plant that you take the root, and this is important, they do two things. The first function of a mandrake is an aphrodisiac, that is, it, it makes a person desire sexual activity. At least this is what they thought. I don't know if it's scientifically proven. Okay, so... In other words, a woman who wasn't loved could could cook this up and give it to her husband in order to be more desirable to her husband. The second function of mandrakes, though, was it was supposed to uh, cure infertility. So a woman who, say, was having trouble bearing children could eat it herself. And hopefully that would help her to conceive. So mandrakes is very important because it's the seeming solution to both women's identity crisis. You see that? The one woman wants to be loved, aphrodisiac. The other woman wants to have children, cure for infertility. So they're going to fight over this one solution. It's the wrong solution to both of their problems. And Jacob is in the middle of it all, right? Because you need Jacob. To be loved, and you need Jacob to have children. Okay, so Reuben comes back rather innocently, maybe. Mom, I got some mandrakes. Gold mined. Rachel said to Leah. Okay, so Rachel's the one that can't have children. To Says to her sister, who's not loved. Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. It's very polite. But she said to her... Is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you now take away my son's mandrakes also? Translation, he already loves you. Why do you need them? I need them. Rachel said, well, if what you want is a night with our husband, he may come in and lie with you tonight if you just give me your son's mandrakes. So Rachel comes up with a bargain. You can have what you want and I can have what I want. You have the affection of our husband for a night. I will have this chance at curing my infertility. It seems like a win-win situation. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me. You must. We've already sorted this out. The four of us got together. We traded some mandrakes. You're mine. Get in here. And she doesn't even pull the punches. She says, Look, I hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Just trying to keep the peace. God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Wages. Earning love of a husband. Now, how many of us, women and men, Again, remember we talked about the image of God being the bridegroom in Christ and we are His bride. How many of us seek to earn the love of our divine husband as our wages, our due? Mandrakes. Works-based gospel. And Interesting enough a works-based gospel is legalistic legalism gives us a sense of identity apart from the love of God we don't even need the love of God if we are being good legalists, meaning if we are doing the right Christian things, we don't even have to worry about God's true love because we have a sense of, of some sort of an accomplishment. We have a sense of some sort of fulfillment. It's just a self-righteousness, a diluted false identity in something that we have done which we think ought to merit us some favor. It's a little bit of an aside. Let's get back into the text. The mandrakes. The mandrakes, the seeming solution to both women's problems. The one woman who wanted to be loved. The other woman who wanted to have children. Well, Rachel uh, gets the mandrakes. Great. So she might cure her infertility. Did it solve Leah's problem? Is she any more loved? truly? No. The mandrakes solved nothing. But she does bear another son Names him Zebulun, which means honor. Just in case we think Leah's making any progress in her search for identity, she says, now my husband will honor me. Mandrakes did nothing. That night did nothing. She's still looking for her identity in a husband's love. The tragedy of Leah is that she was never loved by her husband. And that is a tragedy. It is. I would wish that on no one to be in a marriage, a loveless marriage. But since she was seeking her identity in that marriage, she she sought all of her self-worth, her identity in Jacob's love. She remained every day of her life an unsatisfied woman. A bitter woman, an angry woman, a, an empty woman. Even though she had all these children... As a blessing from the Lord, she was unsatisfied, unfulfilled. She was unable to fully enjoy the children that God had blessed her with. So now we come to take home point number four. Perhaps the, the first really serious take home And it is serious. The others are real take homes, but just easy. Far too easy for us to keep. This is a lot harder. Take home number four. Women. Married women. A husband's love is good. And I would, I would pray that for you. A husband's love is good. But it cannot be the foundation of your identity. Your husband cannot, and he will not, he'll disappoint you. He cannot give you a firm foundation for your identity as a woman. And so this is also for single women, women that wish that they were married. And, oh, if I could just find that man, then my life would be good. Well, God has has blessed singleness in the Bible and He can make you very fruitful in your life if you seek your identity in the right place and give yourself to God. The love of a husband is good and if you're single and you want to be married, you desire a good thing. But too many women have have lost themselves because they couldn't find the love of a woman, married or not. Now there may be women here who suffer great anguish because their marriage is not what they wish it was. Maybe your husband has let you down. Maybe it's something he did way in the past and you just haven't been able to forgive him. You haven't been able to get past it. Because you're still seeking your identity, your greatest fulfillment in the love of a husband, the love of a man. Maybe your husband's letting you down right now. If he hasn't let you down or isn't letting you down, he will let you down. I've let Ange down, I am letting her down, and I will let her down. this is unbelievably painful. I, I understand that. I'm not trying to just dismiss it and excuse your husbands. Husbands, we need to work harder. We need to cherish our wives. We need to give them that good thing, which is our love. But women, if you're seeking to build the foundation of your identity on the love of your husband, you're looking for the wrong foundation. So the only solution is to find a different foundation for, for your sense of self. You have to find the source of your greatest fulfillment somewhere else. Ange cannot look to me to be her greatest source of fulfillment. Because that's an empty life for her. And that doesn't mean I, I ought not try to love her and to cherish her. Do the best that I can, but I am not the answer for her. So, so women, if if it's not your husband, where do you look? Do you look to your children? That's what a lot of women do. My marriage isn't very good, but I've got children. I couldn't have had them without him, so I'm glad I have him, sort of. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna invest in my kids. It's my kids. They're gonna be it. Well, that's that's. now we're going to go over and take a look at Rachel, right? See, Rachel was loved by her husband. She had everything that Leah wanted. And yet she was not satisfied either. Why? Because she derived her identity not from the love of a man, but from her children or the lack thereof. That's why Rachel does the unthinkable. And she says, let's bring another woman into this already crowded marriage. Because I need kids. She was willing to go that far. Just so that she could have children. And then, through, uh, her, her handmaid, she gave birth to Dan. And that sounds like Judge. she feels vindicated. She says, I've done the right thing. I, I, I made this, this marriage. Three's a crowd already. Or three's company. It wasn't much company. But now it's really crowded with a fourth. And, and I think God has judged that what I did was a good thing. So she named him Dan because Dan sounds like the Hebrew word for judged. God has judged what I've done. He says that was the right thing to do and he's given me a son. And then God gave another son, which means Naphtali. And that sounds like wrestling, the the Hebrew word for wrestling. She's like, I'm in this grudge match with my sister and God really wants me to win. That's that's the, the meaning of the name Naphtali. And then finally, maybe because she chewed on a um, mandrake root, she gave birth to Joseph. Now, but get this. This is very fascinating. And we all know about Joseph, right? Joseph becomes Jacob's favorite son because born to his favorite wife who couldn't bear children, which is another problem. Like, this is a messed up family. Um, but do you know what Joseph means? It means, may God add more. I'm not satisfied with one. I want more. You know what God did? God gave Rachel another son. And do you know what happened? Because, and I don't know this because, so it might be coincidental, but I think there's a lesson to be learned. Bearing a child, which she thought would give her a greater sense of herself, this is what happened. Rachel went into labor with with her second son. It was hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest... The midwife said to her, don't fear, you have another son. Just what you want. Now you can be a fulfilled woman. And as her soul was departing because she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my strength. But her husband named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand which is a place of authority. So the youngest was to have a place of authority in Jacob's family. And then Rachel died. Tragic. Never having enjoyed her life. Always seeking fulfillment in children that she never had. And her, her days came, her days went, and she died unfulfilled. The tragedy then of Rachel is that She was never satisfied. She was never satisfied with the love of her husband. She wasn't satisfied with just one son. Take home point number four, or number five, sorry. Children are a blessing. But they cannot be the foundation of a woman's identity. Your children cannot give you a firm foundation for your identity as a woman. Parents in general and mothers specifically are prone to find their identity in their children. And, and everything else sort of fades away. Marriages deteriorate because there's so much investment by, by mothers and fathers in their children. Especially in today's culture, children have become idols. They, they take the place of God. We worship our children. Rather than rearing children as a blessing from God, they take the place of God in our life. And and just as one sort of small anecdote, our children keep us out of church because they're in sports or dancing or whatever. Let's not worship God because we need to worship our children and give them every opportunity. But what happens when your children break your heart I mean, we could all hope to have the, the child that grows up and is everything we ever wanted him or her to be. And that happens, not fully, but it happens partially. But what happens when your children break your heart? What happens when your children fall into a, 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 an ugly battle of rebellion against you and against all authority in their life? What happens when your children find that they're addicted to drugs? What happens when when your children make life choices that are nothing like the way you raise your children? You, you never raised your children to make those life choices, but they're making them. What happens when your children reject Christ? What happens on the day to day when your children are disrespectful? What happens to your identity day to day when your children are unappreciative of all that you've done year after year after year after decade after decade? What happens if you can't conceive like Rachel? Are you destined to be an unfulfilled woman for the rest of your life because you can't have children? What happens when your adoption falls through? What happens when your child is taken from you? by death these are the deepest scars that a woman will ever have to bear and, and I'm not trying to say these things aren't painful of course they, they wound us they, they cut us so deep and they're compounded however if, if you as a woman are seeking your primary identity in your children then these are wounds that cannot heal they cannot heal tragedy of Leah and Rachel is that they envied one another. They fought over mandrakes. Uh, they, they envied one another. They, they sought their primary identities in the wrong place. They each wanted what their sister had. Leah and, and Rachel represent most women looking for their, their sense of worth in a man or in children. And then when one disappoints, going to the other. As I said, a third example for us would be career, and this text doesn't address that. But be very careful about seeking your your identity in a career. Maybe the men in your life have disappointed you, and, and your children either you have broken your heart. So, well, I'm just going to give myself to a career. Obviously, it's good to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the love of a husband. It's good to enjoy the blessing of children, but both will fail to fully satisfy and therefore they cannot be the foundation of a woman's identity. Where then should a woman look? Now, I think we probably know the answer, but let's just nuance it. Where do you look? Where do you truly build? uh, Like, What is the foundation on which you build the foundation of your identity, your sense of self? Where do you go to find pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment? Where do you go to say, because I have this, everything else in my life is okay. I can endure a marriage that is not what I want it to be because I have this. I can endure uh, being a mother to children who have broken my heart because I have this. Where do you go for that? How do you weather the storms in your marriage? If you're seeking your identity in your husband, and husband, same thing, if you're seeking your identity in your wife, when your marriage is strained, your life falls apart and your marriage dies. It does. And and let me just say it this way. The problem is we've bought into the lie that we that love and marriage and relationship is is a consuming thing where we consume one another. You are there for me. I'm going to take what I can get from you. You you are mine. And when you stop giving me what I need and what I want, I'm done with you. Do you see how dangerous this is, right? It, It has real implications for our life in the church. What if God treated us that way? He doesn't. Praise God. So we need a stronger foundation. We we need a foundation where we can stand and weather life's storms, disappointments, difficult marriages, and broken hearts because of children. We need something stronger. And you know the answer is in the text. Leah had a glimpse of this. Just a glimpse of this fulfillment and satisfaction when her fourth born son was born, and she named him Judah. Praise the Lord! That's what she said when he was born. Praise the Lord! That's Judah. Judah! Praise the Lord! And, and let's just go back there. Take a look. In uh, chapter 29, verse 35, she conceived again. Bore a son and said this time I will praise the Lord. She called his name praise the Lord, Judah. And then she ceased from bearing. Oh wouldn't that have been a good end? That would have been a great climax, but that wasn't the end. She forgot. She forgot the lesson that God had shown her in Judah. And you know what's the most amazing thing about this glimpse of where she ought to have found her fulfillment, which is in the Lord and His provision. So finding her identity in Him. Do you know who Judah is? He's the father of the Messiah. The, The Messianic line went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to Jesus eventually. So what's God telling us there? If if Leah had a glimpse of where she ought to have been looking to define herself, to find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction and pleasure, if this is the father of the Messiah, if he is the Messianic line, where ought we to look? We look for a fulfillment in none other than Jesus Christ, the son of Judah. That's what Leah had done momentarily. It was such a passing thing. So, take home point number six, and the most important thing for men and women alike the foundation of your identity and the source of your fulfillment and satisfaction is in Judah. That is, in Jesus, the Messiah. Now, that sounds so much like a Sunday school answer. Okay, great. How do we do that? How? I would love to do that, but how do you do that? Jesus is there. My husband is here, my children are there. How do I just find my fulfillment in Jesus? Well, I mean, there's so many things that you could do about this, but it it begins by meditating on what he has done for you. It's so simple, but why make it more complicated? On your your hard days when you can't stand your husband and and your kids have broken your heart or, or you're in a moment of just grieving the loss of a child, rather than focusing on those things, just stop and remind yourself of what Jesus has done. That's this not rocket science. It's simple. But it's effective. It reorients our, our perspective. And then remember that you're a daughter of the King. If, if that's true, if the God of the universe has said, you're my daughter... And he's saying, I'm going to give you everything that rightly belongs to Jesus. Can you can you just endure a little bit longer? Just a little bit longer. You know, this life is so quick. It's going to be done in no time. Can you just endure in that marriage a little bit longer? Can you endure with the, with those children just a little bit longer? Thirdly, and this sort of all wrapped up together on those really hard days can you just picture yourself die, dying and dead buried in the ground how is this going to help <laughs> it does help <laughs> picture yourself dead and buried or cremated or whatever and then just prayerfully say just say to yourself the day is coming when a trumpet will resound in heaven and the Lord Jesus will say, Daughter, arise, talitha, kum, and you will rise up and whatever remains there are, they will rise up and then God will add to your body the remains, an eternal body that will never break down and then you will have perfect fellowship with God. And you know what the promise is? You know that relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit that has always been perfect with the exception of of Christ on the cross? Uninterrupted? filled with glory and love and satisfaction. Do you know what God is saying? Because I'm going to rise you up, give you the inheritance that belongs to Jesus, and you're going to become the bride of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. I'm going to catch you up into the relationship of the triune God. And you are going to love the Father, the Son, and the Spirit the way the Father, Son, and Spirit has loved Himself for eternity. No angel can say that. No angel is invited into that relationship. Can you endure a little bit longer? Just a little bit longer. Now, this has implications too for the way you you um, submit to your husband, love your husband. It has implications for the way you mother your children. With that perspective, all of a sudden, if you're seeking your identity in those heavenly things, in Jesus Christ, the promises of the eternal inheritance, and you're reminded that you're a filthy sinner too, you don't make his life any easier. And you say, but God loves me. He saved me. Then all of a sudden you remember, well, my husband's not there for me to consume. He's not there to give me satisfaction. He's not there, He's not there to give me purpose. He's not there to be the foundation of my identity. Now, when you can come to that place, then and only then can you honor your husband. Only then can you submit to him, because he's an imperfect sinner. How do you submit to imperfect sinners? Well, you have to have that eternal perspective. Otherwise, it's impossible. But once you have that perspective, you can honor him, as imperfect as he is. You could submit to him. You can serve him. And, and all of a sudden, it's not about what can I get from my husband. Because everything that you're getting is coming from your heavenly husband, Jesus Christ. You, you take from him and you give to your husband. Changes everything. And husbands, by the way, it works the same for us. We don't consume our wives. We take from God and we give to our wives. Can you imagine a marriage where that's happening? Both husband and wife taking from our heavenly husband and giving to one another. It changes everything. Everything. And the same is true for your children. Only when you have this eternal perspective can you actually serve your children and enjoy them in a a healthy way without making them idols. Do not expect to get from your husband or your children what only Jesus can give. When you do this, you'll be a self-giving servant in your home. Otherwise, and here's the alternative, be fulfilled by Christ and be a self-giving servant in your home. That's option one. Option two, you will live the tragedy of Leah and Rachel. You'll be an empty, disappointed vessel, lacking satisfaction and fulfillment and it will become all but impossible to serve. And you'll cut yourself off and you say I've had enough. Praise be to God that Jesus is more than enough for you mothers. I just want to close by thanking all of the mothers for all that you do for your families. Without you, serving diligently day by day with very little thanks, and let's face it, we husbands could use an extra dose of sanctification to make your life a little bit easier. And husbands, let's take that seriously. Let's grow up in Christ so that we can give our wives a a greater blessing in the home. But women, in spite of your husbands, without you, your family would be lost. Our church would die. And our society would crumble. I think we see that happening in Canada today. It takes a mother who finds her identity in Christ to honor her husband and serve her children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the mothers in our congregation. It's it's not easy. It's not easy to be a wife and a mother. It's not easy to be a single woman who wants to be a wife and a mother. I pray that Your grace would be sufficient for us at The Rock as we struggle through this in our marriages and we struggle through in our parenting. Give us Your strength Help us to find our fulfillment in You so that we can love one another. I pray, Lord, that You would give us reason to pause and not suffer the way Leah and Rachel suffered, seeking their identities in the wrong places and dying in the process. You have come to give us life and life abundantly. Let us take from You our glorious husband, that we might truly be fulfilled and endure a little longer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.